Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kier, uh, and uh, we usually live in North Africa, but we're here with you still uh, for the next month and a half. I've got to say, um, daylight savings is a confusing deal because uh, yesterday, hi, my wife told me that it, we were supposed to gain an hour of sleep, uh, and then I woke up this morning and uh, looked at my clock, and I just lost an hour of sleep. So uh, we will wait expectantly for the next uh, half of the congregation to come in the next hour. Uh, but let me pray before we get started and get stuck into God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray now um, and ask that you will be with us as we dive into your Word in Matthew chapter 13. I pray, Lord, that you'll be challenging each one of us that you'll be stirring up our hearts for an affection for you and that you will help us um, to grow and to learn and to step out of these uh, four walls uh, different to how we walked in. And so pray, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, uh, may you be with us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Um, Knowing your identity is a really, really important thing because it helps us to feel belonging, it helps us to know our place, it helps us to, to know uh, what to do and what values we kind of hold on to. Our identity is so important for us. Um, you know, and being overseas, one of the uh, most interesting things that I got asked a lot, especially after North Africans found out that I was um, Australian, uh, the most common question that I got asked after that was, do all Australians look like you? <laughs> and uh, my response to them was, 100%. All Australians look like me. So there's a whole bunch of North Africans out there now that kind of think that um, Australians look like an Asian guy um, you know, and so it's just one of those things that also got me questioning about who I was. Because for them, they didn't know. But during pandemic, it also brought a lot of questions because it made me go, where do I fit in? I'm not a North African, but I almost don't feel Australian because they don't, the concept of who an Australian is uh, became confused for me especially when we weren't able to come back uh, with any relative ease. But even as Christians, knowing who we are is so important, isn't it? Knowing our identity. Last week, Dom talked about counterfeit Christianity. And that challenges us. Because not all of us, you know, there is this perception that coming to church and being a leader and doing ministry, does that make you Christian? Well, last week we heard that it doesn't. So what are the characteristics of God's people? What are the characteristics of God's people? And I want to work through Matthew chapter 13 this morning to answer that question. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? I mean, Jesus himself, as we've worked through the book of Matthew, we've already seen that he says in Matthew 7, you know, that, that people that come to him at the end of time, that they say, Lord, Lord, um, may not actually get into the kingdom of heaven. He might actually say, get away from me. 
We also know that he says that the path towards destruction is wide, but the path to salvation is narrow. So how do we know that we're on the path to salvation? Who are God's people who get to enter the kingdom of God? What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? And I think there are four things. But the first one is this. They know that this life is not all there is. They know that this life is not all there is. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you what Jesus says in the parables. So as we continue the story in Matthew chapter 13, this is what happens. So Jesus, that same that day, he goes out of the house and he sits by a lake. And there were such large crowds gathered around him that he actually puts out into a, into a boat and he sits in it. And while all the others are sort of standing on the shore. And so people from all walks of life, you know, religious leaders to those that are just working a secular job, you know, like everyone is there and there were just masses and masses of people. And Jesus is speaking to this mostly Jewish community and he starts telling them this parable, this story about life. He says, a farmer goes out to sow seed and as he's scattering some seed, some fall along the path and the birds come and quickly eat it up. And then some other seed, it falls on these rocky places where there's just you know, lots of rocks. There's not much good soil. And it, the, the plant grows quickly, but because the soil is shallow, when the sun comes up and the heat of the day bears down, the plant is scorched and it dies because the, shallow, the soil was just shallow. Another seed actually falls among the thorns, and they grow up, and, and as they grow up with the thorns, the, the thorns choke the plant, and it dies. But still, some other seed fall on a good soil, and it grows 30, 60, even 100 times more than what was sown. And then Jesus said to the crowd, whoever's going to hear this, Listen, whoever is going to hear this, listen to this. The disciples come to him afterwards and go like, why do you kind of speak in these stories, Jesus? You know, like, and then Jesus goes, well, because, you know, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven, it's actually been given to you, but not to them. Because whoever has, they'll be given more, and they'll have it in abundance. But whoever doesn't have, even what they do have will be taken from them. And that's why I speak in parables. Because even though they might see, they won't see. And even though they have ears to hear, they actually won't hear. I mean, this is what it's like, what it said in, in the prophets of old, Isaiah. It said, that the, like it said this, you, they'll be ever hearing, they won't understand. They'll ever see, but they, they won't ever perceive because this people's heart has become calloused. It's become calloused. They don't want to hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. 
Otherwise, they will hear with their ears and see with their eyes and they'll understand in their hearts and they'll turn and I would heal them. But blessed are you because you hear and because you see. Because I want to tell you that so many people of old have come before and people who lived for God, righteous people, they long to see what you see, but they don't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they don't hear it. Now, let, me, let me tell you what the parable of the soul means. You see, when everyone, anyone hears the message that was this message about the kingdom... They don't understand that the evil one comes and it snatches away what was sown in their heart. And that's the seed that was taken by the bird. That was the seed that fell along the path. The seed that falls on, you know, hard, rocky soil. That refers to somebody who who hears the word and at once kind of receives it with joy. They're just so happy about it. But because they have no root, they only last a really short time. When any type of trouble or any hardship because of what they believe in comes, they just go away. Then some seed that falls along the thorns, that, that kind of refers to someone who hears the word, but because of all of this life's worries and the wealth and deceitfulness of it, when that comes, it chokes the word and they become unfruitful. But some seed, they fall on good soil and that produces a crop 30, 60, even 100 times more. Whoever's going to listen to this? Listen to it. That's the end part of that particular part of the story that Jesus um, told in Matthew 13. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? Well, they know that this life is not all there is. You see, the reminder in these verses is that there will be a whole bunch of varied responses to the gospel message, to the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom that's going to come. Some will be really enthusiastic about it, but some will just completely outright reject it. There'll be those that hear it, they don't want to listen to it, and there'll be those that, because of all the other pressures from the outside, just choke it away and they just say no it's not for me but even though not all will respond there'll be some that do and the harvest will be rich and it will be beautiful but the warning for us here in this story the warning for you and for me is are you finding your satisfaction in jesus Or are you finding it here in the comforts, security, and stabilities, and the sense of belonging here in this world? You know, one of the things that I heard about um, an African man from Kenya who came over to Australia, um, who was a believer, he came over and he, he looked at the church here in Australia, and you know what he said? 
He said, I don't know how Christians in Australia do it. Because you have so much that you almost don't even need Jesus. So much takes you away. In Kenya, I have to trust God every day for all, with everything. And even in that, God is good. But you here in Australia have just so much. And God isn't good for you. Is Jesus enough for you? It's not that those things in terms of the, the good things in, here on this earth are bad. And it's not like they're bad because God has given those to us. The problem comes when we start to make those things ultimate. As if those things were, were meant for us and only for us. And we make those things more pleasurable, more enjoyable than God will be. More st stable than God will be. I'm talking about the house. I'm talking about the car. I'm talking about your job. I'm talking about your health. When those things become more important, more satisfying than Jesus, when you start making those things ultimate. You know when the, chal the challenge comes is when, when God takes those away. Is your joy still in Jesus? Or what about persecution? What about when we in Australia, maybe in a number of years' time, start not just getting ridiculed because of Jesus, but we start getting spat on? We start losing our jobs. We might even lose our life. Is Jesus your everything in those moments? You see, the heat of the sun Bears, when that bears down, when persecution comes, is Jesus enough? Or when you get that new job, or you get that new house, is that ultimate? Are you finding your security, comfort, stability, satisfaction in the present to find that stress-free life? Maybe some questions that will help us think through this a bit more. Uh, well, what, are your, what is your prayer life so that you're focused on? Do you pray? What do you go out of your way to sacrifice? Are you making those things ultimate? What are the things that are right now drawing you away from God. Because the reality is, is the heat of the sun will come. Or it is upon you. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? Well, they know that this life is not all there is. And they don't find their comforts, security, stability, and hope in the present. And secondly, they know a future kingdom is coming that brings harsh realities. They know a future kingdom is coming that brings harsh realities. And this is what Jesus says in another parable, in another story. 
So he said that the kingdom of heaven, the, the culmination of all that is to come, is like a man who goes into a field and he starts sowing some seed. But while everyone was kind of sleeping, an enemy comes in uh, amongst the, 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 the sowed seed and actually starts to put weeds down among the wheat. Weeds that almost look like wheat. And then he goes away. And when the wheat starts to, to kind of sprout and come up and, and it forms a head, and then you can actually see the difference between a weed and a wheat, the owner's workers, they'll come and they'll say, didn't we kind of plant really good seed? Where, the, where did these weeds come from? And the owner would say, well, someone who hates me has done this, an enemy of mine. And the workers kind of go to him again, well, do you want us to pull them up? You want to just yank them out? No. Because while you're kind of pulling up the weeds, you can't probably, you're probably going to uproot the wheat as well. So let them both grow together, and at the end, we're going to harvest it, and then we'll tell the harvesters, take and collect the weeds, put them into bundles, and burn them. And then take the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then the crowd um, that was with Jesus when he said this, they went back into the house and the disciples come to him again and they go, kind of explain to us this parable, um, parable of the weeds, I don't get it. And so Jesus goes, well, the one who sowed the good seed is the one who's promised to come, the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people who are supposed to be part of this kingdom. And the weeds are the people of the, the evil one, the, the one that's the enemy. And, and that's, the enemy is the one who sows, sows, is the devil. And the harvest is the, the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. And then as the weeds are being pulled up, they're burned in the fire. And so that's what will be at the end of the age. The one that's in promise to come, the Son of Man, he will send out his angels and they will weed out the kingdom, everything that causes sin and those who do evil. And they'll throw them in the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, they'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, listen to this. You know, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that, that is let down into the lake and it's trying to catch all these kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen decide to pull it all the way onto the shore and they sit down and they collect the good fish in baskets and they throw the bad away. That's what it'll be like at the end of the age. The angels will come. They'll separate the wicked from the righteous and they'll throw them in the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? Yep, that's what they said, yep. And Jesus said, well, every teacher of the law who becomes a disciple of this particular kingdom, of this kingdom, He's like an owner of a house who goes and brings from his storeroom the things that are really good and the things that are also really old. And that ends this part of the story. 
What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? Well, they know that this life is not all there is. And secondly, they know a future kingdom is coming that brings harsh realities. Uh, There was a movie called um, Don't Look Up recently, uh, and it was really just about, um, like, supposedly this comet was going to come, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and I can't remember the the female actress, but they're they're kind of scientists who are trying to tell the world, don't, like, we got to, we got to, there's this comet coming, the the planet's going to completely be decimated, you know, but the common slogan amongst the world was, don't look up. If we don't see it, it's not going to happen. When I think about it, I can enjoy what is presently here without thinking about what is to come. People rather seek pleasure in the present because they don't want to think about things that are outside of their control. And the question for us that we need to answer is that are we aware of what's coming and think about eternity rather than what is present? Thinking about the people around us, those that don't believe, the culture around us, they prefer to get whatever we want now and not even think about what is to come. This message that Jesus speaks right now forces us to face the reality that sin is serious and God doesn't take sin lightly. Our rejection of him, our running after other things, seeking our own kingdom rather than seeking him. That's what God hates so much. The worker asks, should we pull the weeds up now? No. Give them time. But there will be a day when the weeds will be thrown into the fire. See, this message as Christians shouldn't drive us to fear but it should drive us to our knees knowing that God has sent a saviour to us, that we have a hope into the future. But the other thing that it should drive us to do is to recognise that there is a world out there that does not know Jesus and there is an urgency so that they might come to know him. There is a reality that in eternity without God, without the good things that God has given us, the absence of anything good is a reality for so many people in the world. That's what we're talking about. And that should drive us to our knees and drive us out to share this news about Jesus with them. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? They know that this life is not all there is. And they know, secondly, there's a kingdom coming that brings harsh realities. And thirdly, they know, a, they know salvation comes from small beginnings. This is what Jesus also said in another story. He said the kingdom of God is kind of like a mustard seed, like really a small seed that a guy took and he kind of plants into a field. And even though it's one of the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it becomes one of the largest garden plants. So much so that there are birds that come and they sit in the tree. Then he tells them another parable and he says to them, the kingdom of God is kind of like yeast, small little yeast that a woman kind of works through about 30 kilograms of flour until it's all worked through the the dough. 
And then Jesus, he, speak, he spoke all these particular things, but he didn't say anything without actually using these stories. And so that was what was fulfilled by the prophet. He said, you know, I'll open my mouth in these stories and parables and I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And that's the end of what Jesus said in that part of the story. So one of the smallest seeds grows into one of the largest garden plants, like a tree. A little yeast works through the whole dough and makes it rise. Who would have thought that this carpenter's son from the backwaters of Galilee almost 2,000 years ago on the outskirts of the Roman Empire would make such a difference in the world? Who would have thought that the God of the universe who came down in human form, like what Philippians 2 said, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant to be born in a manger, persecuted, misunderstood, ridiculed, judged, made fun of, spat on, falsely accused, slapped, made to carry a wooden cross to face one of the harshest punishments that this world has ever seen, reserved for the worst offenders, and now hung on a cross whilst his lungs filled with blood to die alone and placed in an empty tomb. Who would have thought that through this channel he would bring salvation to the world? And offer that to us. Who would have thought that God himself would take the punishment for us. So that we might have an eternity with him. It's not in the flashing. It's not in the majestic. It's not through beautiful means that this salvation comes. Not through attraction or wise and convincing words. But through a man hung on a cross to die. That would transform the world. Not through disciples who are the best of the best, but through fishermen, through hated tax collectors, through the weak. This parable is a reminder to us and to me that it's not through how amazing I am that brings me to salvation or how amazing that I am that even brings anybody else to salvation. And God can use whatever we have to bring about his glory even in our weaknesses, because God reminds me that it's through the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, the yeast that works through the whole dough. Do you know this carpenter, Jesus? Does this message drive you out in your weaknesses to share the gospel? You don't have to be an amazing preacher. You can stumble through your words. If Jesus died on a cross for us to bring us salvation, it should keep driving us out to keep sharing this message with the world and keep driving us to our knees to remember that it is even through our weaknesses that we come to him. That brings us salvation. It's through him on the cross for us. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? Well, they know that salvation comes from small beginnings. They know that this life is not all there is. They know that a future kingdom coming is coming that brings harsh realities. And lastly, they are willing to give up everything 
for the sake of this kingdom. Jesus continues to say what the kingdom of God is like, and he says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that is found in a field. When a man finds it, he goes away, he kind of hides it again, and then in his happiness and joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he buys that field. Or the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a merchant, a person who's going out to look for beautiful pearls, but when he finds that one that is of such great, immense value, he goes away. He sells everything he has just to buy that pearl. What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? They know the value of Christ and they're willing to give up everything for the sake of his kingdom. A number of years ago, a guy by the name of Omer Dejondi, um, who used to be the director of Serving and Mission, SIM, uh, he tells of this story about how he ended up in Africa. Uh, he was a medical doctor, but him and his family decided to go and serve in Africa and telling others about the good news of Jesus. Uh, but before he left, he said that he was kind of in his last month of farewells and uh, uh, some, a friend you know, invited him to go out to uh, the Park Hyatt in Sydney to go to a chocolate festival. So he went and uh, he ended up having uh, loads and loads of chocolate in this really nice, fancy, beautiful hotel. Uh, and, you know, whatever you kind of want, you know. Like, um, and he said that you know, after he'd eaten, he needed to go to the bathroom. And as he was going to the bathroom, he passes by a medical conference. As he's in the bathroom, he, um, he's washing his hands uh, and a few doctors walk in starting to talk about the conference. And that gets him thinking. He starts to think, is it worth it? Is it worth giving up everything? My career, the stability, the success, the prestige, the money, the going halfway across the world to a people who don't look like me, to give up all that, to give up all, the, all that my parents worked for, to get me where I am now as a medical doctor, is it worth it? And he said that as you're standing there in that bathroom, you know, like gold-plated rims, marble stone tops, like he just felt like Jesus was standing there waiting for his response. And he couldn't help but just scream out, yes, yes, it's worth it. Because in some respects, that was actually the wrong question for him. It wasn't, is it worth it? It's not, is it worth giving up stuff? The question that he said he had to answer and answered right there in that bathroom was, is Christ worth it? If Christ came and gave up everything to die on the cross for our salvation so that we might enter the kingdom of God, is Christ worth giving up everything? Yes. Is Christ worth selling all that you have to buy that field or that pearl? When we consider our Christ, our answer should be a resounding yes because he is of greater value than anything else in the present, in the future, in any form, anything on this earth, any kind of stability or security or comfort because Christ is worth it. Is Christ worth that much to you? Do you believe that this life is not all there is. 
Do you believe that there is a future kingdom that is coming that will bring harsh reality, that will bring judgment? Does that drive you to your knees before God and drive you out to share this with others? Do you believe that salvation comes from small beginnings? Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on a splintered cross in the backwaters of the Roman Empire to lead you to salvation? Do you believe that Christ is worth giving up everything for? That you might be willing to follow Jesus wherever that might take you, to the ends of the earth, to your neighbours, to your friends, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, to give up your dreams of a house and a car, a stable job and a family even. Is Christ worth that much? What are the characteristics of God's people as defined by Jesus? They know that this life is not all there is. They know a future kingdom is coming that brings harsh realities and brings judgment. They know it comes from small beginnings through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And they know the value of Christ and they give, they're willing to give up everything for the sake of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, each one of us, to heed the warnings that you give, even in this passage, that we don't live comfortably with what we've just heard, that we recognize that there is a judgment coming, that we don't find our comforts and security and stability here, that we see you as more valuable than anything else. I pray for each one of us here and what you might be challenging us even right now, what you might be saying to us to give up and to sacrifice, what things we need to, to do so that others might come to know you. I pray that you will do what I can't in challenging and stirring hearts with an affection for you, that you are worth more than anything. I pray that this congregation will know that and it will drive them out because they want to see you made known and glorified in their lives. I pray this in your name. Amen.